This is a unique podcast exploring the criminal justice system and those involved and affected. We'll educate and expose the public as well as potential jurors to what takes place behind the scenes of those who are facing the system. Your host owns a litigation support firm called Justice Technology Professionals, and he works on criminal and civil cases offering support to defendants and counsel. What you're about to hear is an open dialogue opening the minds to the public to what takes place in reality as opposed to what you think takes place ladies and gentlemen welcome to the justice tech pros podcast here's your host dominic crea hello listeners hope everybody's doing well and uh getting ready for father's day on sunday I wish all the fathers out there a uh, happy Father's Day. I hope you enjoy the day. Usually on Father's Day, I like to spend time with the family. I like to barbecue and just relax. And that's really what it's all about for me, just enjoying the family and uh, taking the time to enjoy what we have and and uh, those around us. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Today's episode, I want to talk about um, Jura Education. And um, that's really the whole, uh, the whole concept behind all of my shows. They all revolve around that concept of enlightening jurors, giving the jurors a new perspective, uh, letting them understand things that they may not have been aware of, breaking down the different laws. Um, this way it gives them a, a better understanding of how to apply the law if they ever find themselves as a jury member. And it also, it just, uh, it's a matter of getting as much information out there so the public overall are just more prepared to handle their responsibility as a juror. And, and I think that's a big problem where a lot of the jurors don't really grasp, and to no fault of their own, when you think about it, there's no training to be a juror. There's really nothing you need to do. You just show up, you answer some questions, and you could be picked. Uh, I, I think that's a problem with the system. I think there should be a little bit more vetting that goes on before the jury panel is made up. Uh, obviously, they have Vordire and all that, but I'm talking a more intense, uh, more intense vetting process than just asking questions that people could not really be that honest about. So, uh, all the episodes I have done from beginning almost three years ago till now, it all leads up, I would say, to the concept of of a juror being more prepared and more educated. So I, I try to really have the show revolve around that. I try to come up with things that the public will look at and keep in back of their mind and perhaps utilize or pull from their toolbox when the time comes, if and when they find themselves serving as a juror. Because I believe the small part I could do, the small contribution to the justice system is appealing to the public. That's one of the routes I chose to do to to make a little bit of a dent into a system now that's a, 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 is the scales are shifted. The scales are weighed heavily down and it's not in the defendant's favor. So the concept just kind of revolves around making sure defendants get a fair trial and that's really it. Um, and what, what kind of inspired me to do that is I was part of a trial. Um, I was part of the defense team and I saw how things played out. And I saw four men get wrongfully convicted. So, obviously, it creates frustration and you try to make sense of certain things. And I figured, well, it inspired me to, to, to start the podcast, talk to the public, offer some information. Those who, who find value in it, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's all it's about. Uh, they could take information, material, whatever I put out and use that the best way they see fit just to better empower themselves and equip themselves so they um, fulfill the jury responsibility properly. So I go through various topics. I had experts on, talking about the expert side of things, the uh, threshold of reasonable doubt. I try to cover each things, uh, each topic that will allow a person to have an overall picture of what it takes and what to be aware of when you serve as a jury. Uh, a lot of people will try to change my intentions on here. I see it all the time. They'll try to say I'm on here trying to convince people that bad guys are good. And uh, the we push back thing that I started, they try to say it's about getting bad guys out. Um, to me, it's one of two things. Either the people who say that 
unfortunately, they may suffer from a low IQ or they're ignorant and they just can't grasp it. And no matter how many times I've said it over and over again, the purpose of it, they just can't grasp it. And the other side, you have the people who just don't want to see the truth. They just want to spin it so they could try to knock the credibility or knock the validity of the cause. Because it's very simple. I'll say it one more time. It has nothing to do with somebody getting bad guys, quote unquote, out of jail. Nothing to do with that at all. It's very simplistic. It's just about, on my end, educating the public so that they make sure they follow their duty. And their duty is to, to make certain that the charges the defendant's up against, when the trial commences and goes along, those charges are proven to be true based on facts of the case and evidence of the case, not based on hearsay, not based on the fact, well, I think this guy's a bad guy, he may not did this, but he deserves to be go to jail anyway. That's not how the law is supposed to work. And I understand uh, we all have different belief systems, we all have all different gauges on who we consider a bad person, a good person. So I understand there's a lot of bias, it just it's natural, it just comes. So I, I grasp that. But what I try to do is, is let people know if you're going to take on the responsibility of a juror, you have to kind of leave that at the door. And you definitely have to leave it at the door. And I know it may be difficult. And if it is that difficult, you may want to think about uh, not serving on that jury. Maybe I said it before. Uh, if there's a, a pedophile uh, and I'm assigned to the jury, I'm going to excuse myself because I have a bias against pedophiles. Uh, for me, it's very hard. It's very hard if I, if I'm hearing what somebody did to a child or hurt a child, endangering a child. I, I can't serve on that jury. I'm not going to be able to give the guy fair uh, trial. I'm not going to be able to go through each one of the elements of evidence because I think my bias would be too strong. So I would just excuse myself. I recognize my faults and I recognize where I fall short. And I understand there's people that may feel that way about other groups of people. My only suggestion is then you should be a little bit self-aware and then not serve on that jury because in the eyes of the law, the system has to work. Lady Justice has to be blind. You have to, you have to sit there, wait for the facts, not, not pull on any bias, and let the facts determine the verdict. So I, I, I try to come on here and explain that and, and talk about what the focus should be and... and and really analyze that and have conversations around that overall topic. And juror education is very important to me. I started a Facebook group two, two years ago. I'm not that active in it, honestly. I just don't have that much time. But it's a public group. If you just uh, look at juror education on, the, um, on Facebook, you'll see the group and everything's public. You can read material. I posted different information in there, videos. Again, it's all around the overall concept. Reach as many people as you can and try to appeal to them, try to open their mind a little bit, give them another side of the perspective, and things like that. So I try to hit all different routes. Uh, sometimes I get spread too thin, and I'm not able to really devote the time I want to to certain projects. You have to prioritize, right? That's life. So, again, with, with all that said, I figured today I want to really hash into that. I wanted to kick that around, where it all stemmed from. I just wanted to talk about that and the future directions of the podcast if we push back and things of that nature. And and the direction for me is always going to be the same. What I try to do is I try to pick topics that I'm versed in, topics I know about. If I'm spotlighting an informant, I like to have the backup to at least lay out the points I'm trying to make. I like to have the documentation. I like to have the court minutes or transcript minutes of court appearances, whatever I could get my hands on to give examples as I'm analyzing a specific person or a case or whatnot. Uh, I try not to just come on here and give opinions with, with nothing to support it. And I do insert my opinion. Uh, that's just the nature of it. It's how it goes when you have a podcast. But I make it clear it's my opinion. And what's very important that listeners must do, they have to listen to as much information as possible. So you can't just listen to my podcast, take everything I, I, I speak as gold. You have to go around. You have to watch different things. I talk about the informants who lie on their podcast. So it's important that you go to those podcasts, you listen to them, maybe listen to the material I put out, you see the information I put out, and then you decide exactly where you land. 
But the, um, the, the vital part of that practice is just leaving yourself open to absorb both sides of the equation. When you only hear one side, you don't want to be in that little container where you're only hearing a certain narrative. Uh, you want to hear both sides. And that's what I always push. I want everybody to listen to as much as you can on on this topic if you're interested in it, obviously. I'm sure some people find it boring, but um, I think it's important. That's why I enjoy talking about it. But it's important that you get all sides and then you make your own decision. Then you decide, hey, this guy's pretty accurate. What he's saying is making sense. Or this guy's full of crap. You know, that that's what you got to do. And a lot of people, unfortunately, don't do that. I encounter a lot of commenters. They'll leave certain comments on my channel where I know that um, they're really not there to understand what I'm trying to say. They just want to push their narrative. I had somebody last week where they were saying, oh, yeah, but I forgot how they worded it. But basically, they were trying to say, of course, they, their go-to is to try to insult my, my old man. So I think they were trying to say, like, oh, well, he's a bad guy. If he gets out, he's going to do bad things. And I tried to, even though, you know, I wanted to answer this person a different way, I always try to keep it as professional as I can. And I explained to the person, I understand that's how you think. He's one of those individuals. There's a lot of individuals out there who just think if they believe you're bad or you're, you, you represent something they don't believe in, whether you're guilty of a specific crime that you're charged with or not, you should be found guilty. Now, that's just how they think. There's nothing I can do about that. That's life, right? But they need to understand that's not how the law works. It's fine to think that way. It's fine to believe that way. It's just not how the law works. So when the law doesn't work the way it was designed, I see that as a problem. To me, it's almost like, well, what's the point of the Constitution if it's not going to work the way that it was outlined to work and the way it was initially uh, put into place to work? So, so that's where I try to focus on. It's about just making sure the defendants receive a trial that they're entitled to. They get the rights that they're entitled to. They get the defense that they're entitled to. Uh, and that's what I try to spotlight, whether it's judge issues or uh, misconduct on the prosecution end or lying informants. I, I try to focus on the different aspects that can impact a jury. And one of the big aspects is a juror not being educated enough. And again, when I say not educated, it's not an insult. Who's really educated in being a juror, right? Um, I just mean they don't know the information. They're not, it's not readily available to them. They never researched it. They, they had no desire to, which I don't blame them. Uh, the average citizen really doesn't just spend their days focused on, you know, how to be a great juror. I get that. So I try to put these out, and I figured, hey, if you get a few people who may listen and it helps out, wonderful. So I, I want to, e each episode I put out all revolves around that. It all revolves around juror education, right? And, and they all kind of piggyback off one another. And you could open up a lot of different avenues, go down a, a lot of different uh, uh, paths to exemplify that and focus on that. And that's what I try to do with the various episodes. I try to pick something that's relevant people could relate to. And on that note, I think what a lot of people could relate to, those who are on YouTube or in social media... You have to understand, that's the jury pool. And that'll really give you an idea of what's out there and how people think. When you see the comments on social media, you see how people think, you see uh, uh, podcasters, things they say. So people could relate to when somebody's accused of something. Let's say online, social media, right? There's lies spread like crazy. People are accused of stuff. I'm accused of stuff. People are That's just how it goes. People like to do that. Whether they're troublemakers or they're misinformed, whatever it may be, the fact is a lot of misinformation is spread around. So it's hard to navigate through that. Online, on the online thing. Now imagine your life is on the line and the same type of events are taking place where you have somebody lying about you and your life is on the line to defend yourself against that lie. It could get very dangerous. It's very hard to defend against a lie. And when you're dealing with somebody who will change the lie, they'll alter the lie, they'll swear up and down on the lie, it's hard to see through it for some people. And that's just on social media. I see the chaos, the back and forth, this ain't true, that's not true, and then people going on episode after episode just making up stuff, saying this guy did that. It's social media, so it has no bearing, but it's a good lit litmus test to, sh to, to give the listeners an inside look of just human nature. And now if that 
is then exhibited in the courtroom, that's a big problem. You see it on social media. You, you Say you piss somebody off and they get a vendetta for you. You get some people, they're just not honest. They don't care. If they don't like you, they're going to lie about you. They're going to say whatever they can, right? Just to cause your headaches, cause your problems. Now, imagine if that type of person turns an informant. You have a lying informant where maybe they have a gripe against somebody. They don't like the way something was handled. So what do they do? They, they look for revenge. And that's their form of getting revenge. So you have to take a step back and realize... What a problem that could be. What a problem that is. And I feel that's a good way for people to relate. Uh, just, you could take a step back, whether you personally had an experience on social media or you see it playing out on YouTube. As you know, there's certain genres in YouTube where there's nothing but uh, certain channels, I'm sorry. Uh, um, no, I was right the first time. Certain genres on uh, YouTube where you have um, nothing but drama, you know, so... And you have a lot of lies with that drama, and you have a lot of people getting vengeful, doing nasty things. And so I wanted to kind of use that to show the parallel. Just simply, obviously, it's apples and oranges in, in, the, um, in what could happen. Uh, and, and the result, in one case, you're, you're facing lies that depend on defending your life to prove you're innocent. In the other case, it's just uh, social media and internet uh, rumors and lies and things of that nature. Uh, now, it could be, I'm sure a lot of people, it, it could be emotionally disturbing. You know, me personally, things like that, they don't really affect me. I'm a, I'm a real world, quote unquote, type of guy. For something to impact me, I got to be able to, it's got to be tangible to me. I got to be able to deal with the person face to face so I could uh, voice my side. They could voice their side. Even if we have a heated argument, at least there's interaction. This, online, it's a little different for me. It's just random people, people I don't know, people I'll never meet. So I, I really don't care. Their opinion doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, the only opinions that matter to me personally are my family and my close friends. That's really it. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, arrogant sometimes that even if I disagree <laughs> with certain members of my family, I, I'll take into account. But I've been known to do it the way I want to do it anyway. <laughs> I think that's a fault of mine. Um, but you understand my point. My point just is, if you look at the parallels, how things play out, and you have certain people, they'll be getting accused of something, they'll be lied on, and then they'll try to prove their innocence, they'll try to say, no, this is really what happened. So when you have uh, an individual who has that in their nature, to make up lies, to slander somebody, to try to jam somebody up, to try to make somebody look bad. Now, if you, if you open up the... Uh, the environment that they could do that in and you make it an environment that's one with legal consequences and one where they'll actually be rewarded for their lies. That's the big difference. You have a lot of informants when they lie, they're rewarded. Every informant, they're rewarded for their lies. They could say whatever they want, but that's really as simple as it gets. When you boil it all down, they're being rewarded for their lies. Their, their sins or their, their crimes that they committed themselves are being excused in exchange for their lies. When you now, obviously, I'm talking about liars, people who are lying about that. And I always say this: people want to say, "Oh, um, uh, you know, it's all about hating rats," and we push back. It's all about hating rats. Again, ignorant, low IQ. They don't understand. It has nothing to do with that. Um, my opinion on an informant is completely irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. Said that from episode one three years ago. It's completely irrelevant whether I don't like them or whatever, it's completely irrelevant. What I do think is necessary and is vital for the criminal justice system, they have to vet these informants to make sure they're telling the truth. You got to make sure somebody's telling the truth before they just come in. They tell you some things you want to hear about a target that you may want to get. Unfortunately, most of the time, law enforcement won't vet them that deeply because they're saying all these things that they want them to say and it, it fits their narrative. And I believe that's a big void and a big fracture in the system as far as vetting these informants and how they use them and the um, way that they completely absolved of sins. You have informants who don't do a day in jail, get a slap on the wrist, uh, they get probation, they get whatever, all because they gave them higher targets. Regardless of the vicious crimes the informant may have done or the nasty, evil stuff they may have done, that's all put aside. That's all put aside. If they bring them a bigger target, that's all forgiven. And that's the dangers of these lying informants. And people should realize, 
it's not that far of a concept that somebody's lying just to get somebody. Because people say, oh, why are they lying? Well, with an informant, there's a lot of reasons to lie. There's a lot of motivation, especially nowadays. Think about it. You got the podcast. So let's break it down. An informant's motivation for for lying in 2022 is very simplistic. Financial, uh, benefits. Let's talk about the benefits. They'll get a book deal, possibly. They write books. They all like to write books. They go on YouTube. They get YouTube famous. They tell their story. They get talk shows. They get to play. They're able to still play like a tough guy and get all the benefits of it and reinvent themselves in a career that's geared on making money off of their past. So there's a lot of motivation for these informants, a lot of motivation for them to lie. So if you get somebody who's just been a degenerate their whole life, a lot of these informants are junkies. And again, I'm going to say it more clearly because people will try to say I'm calling somebody with substance abuse problems a junkie. No, I see it, and I've said this many times, as two distinct different types of people. Somebody who has a substance abuse problem is not a junkie. Now, a junkie does have a substance abuse problem, but their behavior is what defines them as a junkie. Having a substance abuse problem, needing help, that's not a junkie. I've known many people in my life who had a problem, they got the, their acts together, and they were able to really have a productive life, and I was very happy for them. And then I got people on the other end of the spectrum that I've encountered who were full-blown junkies. And I, I've said it a few times when I refer to a few uh, a junkie, it's behavioral-based. It's not the fact that uh, they have a substance abuse problem, it's their behavior. It's how they treat their family, stealing from family, lying to family, doing degenerate things, stealing from friends. Um, just hurting everybody around them, just selfish, junkie behavior. So I just want to make that clear. So now you get somebody like that. You get a junkie like that. And they have all the motivation in the world. They'll have all of their uh, habits absolved. They'll have everything forgiven as long as they tell them about a person who's a target. Now, do some law enforcement individuals push those lies? Yeah, unfortunately, like anything else, people, there's good and bad in everything. I know people like to make a lot of stereotypes. They'll say, um, uh, somebody like me, because they pull the BS, you know, if my father supposedly accused of being a member of whatever, they'll try to say, oh, people like that hate all cops and law enforcement. That's complete horseshit. Um, that's not true at all. It's not how I was raised. I was raised, you respect everybody as long as they do their job. As long as they do their job and they don't uh, do things that aren't in line and what their responsibilities are. Just do, do your job honestly. There's good cops. We need cops. There's, there's bad cops. There's good doctors. There's bad doctors. There's good lawyers. There's bad lawyers. It's in every walk of life, and that's how I look at it. I judge it individually. You have some prosecutors who just do their job. They don't have a vendetta. They're just there to, to charge somebody, go by the law, use the tools that the, the legal system equipped them with to, to really follow through on their occupation. And then you get other prosecutors who make it personal. They get nasty, insulting. A lot of misconduct goes on. And same with a lot of these agents. So I don't think all these agents force these lies. I do think some of them do. I do think some of them make it personal or they just want to get somebody, they want to get a raise, they want to get a promotion, whatever it may be, and they make it personal. And that goes for judges, for everything. You, you have judges that they just, they're not going to be fair. They have a certain bias built in them and that's it. You could tell them the sky's blue and they won't believe it. No matter what you tell them, they're just not going to believe it. That's just how it goes. Now, the problem is a person like that should not be a judge. Um, that's a whole nother episode uh, about about judges. But that's the point I'm getting at. That, that's, that's really where the system's flawed in many ways. It's, it's all of the tools that they use to get a defendant. If they were used properly and people were vetted, things were done properly, the system on paper plays out phenomenal. We have one of the best systems in the world, I believe, on paper. The way it plays out in the real world, unfortunately, does not line up to what's written on paper and to what our forefathers had imagined. And that's the issue I have, and that's why I do what I do. That's why I come on here. Because I'm going to be honest, folks. I've, uh, I, I'm pretty satisfied at where I'm at in life. Um, I, I've accomplished things I've wanted to accomplish. I've put myself in a position that I'm comfortable with. Uh, I have a beautiful family. I, uh, I own a remarkable business. I have great employees, uh, great partners. 
the last thing I really wanted to do, to be honest with you, is come on a podcast and just start talking and then have to deal with a lot of the nonsense that goes along with it. But when you're motivated, when something happens that sparks a fire in you, for me anyway, nothing could put that fire out. Um, uh, even uh, I say it all the time, but we push back. I started that. I would have still been doing it if nobody joined. If nobody joined, I would have still been doing it because it's not about it's not about me needing other people to, to, to build it up. It's about me following through on something that's important to me. And the situation that I personally dealt with with my father's case inspired me for that. But, but realize this. We push back is not about one person. It's not about my father's case. It's not about Joe Blow's case. It's about the culmination of all of these things, all these different examples of cases. And you could look it up thousands and thousands of cases of people being innocent in jail or, or wrongly prosecuted or prosecutorial misconduct, all things of that nature. And I figured, although it may have started from my motivation to right or wrong in a case that I'm involved in, that's not where it ended up. Where it's ending up now is more of an exposure type thing. It's bringing light to things that are important. And I had a few people that emailed me that run kind of similar organizations and we're talking about some strategical alliances. I don't want to get into that yet because I don't like to talk about things until they're really done because, you know, uh, in any kind of negotiation or any kind of alignment, sometimes things fall apart. When you get to know one another, you may be too far apart. But my point is, that's all good things. The more pieces, the more arms of this thing, the more exposure it gets, that's what it's about. It's about just bringing exposure, bringing to light to things. People don't have to agree with it. People could be against it, but at least they're aware of it. They're aware that that's one side of, of, of what's going on. And they may look at the other side and say, ah, you know, what this guy, what Dominic's doing is horse crap. It's all BS. Uh, he just hates rats. And, you know, they'll, they'll use that nonsense. But for the intellectual people, for the open-minded people, they'll see, okay, this cause makes sense. What they're doing makes sense. Uh, the, the website, I'm trying to gear it more towards um, information as well. In addition to bringing attention to members, bringing attention to cause, we're going to populate with information. Uh, as a matter of fact, the journalist who wrote uh, the book Guilt for the Guiltless, Lisa Babick, sent me case information that I posted on the site. It was the case of Joseph Salvetti, uh, which again, uh, really, if you, if you want to learn about a case where somebody was screwed over in plain English, that's a case. I didn't know much about it. Lisa sent me the information. I started reading it. I didn't go through it all. She has a ton of information. She's, you know, she does a ton of research, so she's always very thorough. So I got to go through it, and I don't like to talk about things I'm not versed on. But from what I've seen so far, huge tragedy of justice. Huge of, uh, you know, completely similar case, very similar to my father's case. I've seen a lot of parallels, but again, I didn't get that into it. But my point is, that's what I like. People could send stuff. We'll get it up on the site. People want to have certain things spotlighted, uh, things represented on the site. That's what it's about. It's the big hub of information. And as I've said Initially, it's going to morph and change and adapt and grow. And I like this direction. I like adding information to the site about different cases. I'm going to add like little segments, like spotlight different cases. That case I spoke about, the Joseph Zalvetti case, is the first one. And then I'll, as things come my way, I'll put that. And it's just important because it builds the overall picture for the public to see that there is problems within the criminal justice system. And I firmly believe getting the public involved and getting the public more up to speed on what goes on is the route to take. I believe the people have the power. Those 12 jurors have the power. They could see through the BS if they, if they know what they're looking for. They could be sensitive to certain information and they could be a little bit more focused on making certain the charged conduct is what the defendant is being found guilty of and not rumor or alleged reputation. That's what's vital. You have to just make sure that the charges line up with the evidence that's submitted and you're not just convicting somebody because you don't like the person, you don't like their reputation. Think about it. Look at some of the things a lot of these people say online. Those are jury members. How scary is that? 
Those are people in the public that are on the jury. And some of the outrageous, nasty things they say, that represents the jury pool. So that's who you have. Now, obviously, that when they're being, uh, going through voir dire, they're going to put out their best foot forward, so you'll never get to that. But that's the reality of it. That's society. Think about, even forget about on here with this, in certain genres. Think about like on Twitter, right? All the wars and the stuff people say and stuff. You know, society, everybody's an individual. There's, there's a lot of individuals on there who have no who have no filter and they have no um, line. They'll cross any line. They'll go as low as, it, as they could go. And for me, that's a little scary to think that makes up the jury pool when you have people who aren't open-minded, people who go into that jury box with their bias. When you start looking at that way, you really ask yourself, wow, it's hard for people to get a fair trial depending on the, on the case. Uh, High-profile cases, organized crime cases, People are going to have a hard time getting a fair trial because a lot of the public don't think about what their responsibility is. They don't realize that they're there. They have to put their bias aside. They have to put their mentality, if they think whoever's in front of them is a bad person, they have to leave that at the door. And they have to strictly go by the facts of the case. A lot of people are unable to do that. And I'll tell you what, from the comments I read, from the interactions I've had, I could see a lot of people are incapable of doing that. They just don't want to hear it. They're just not open-minded. They're ignorant about it. So well, the, me doing the podcast and trying to connect with the listeners, I try to just build more of a knowledge base for the public to have them say, hey, I wasn't aware of that. That's interesting to know. I'll remember that. Or, you know what? I thought one way one day. Now when I started reviewing the information, I changed my opinion. That's what it's about. Just putting it all out there, opening up some minds, changing some opinions in the sense that they make that change. The material they have, whatever they digest, it allows them to change their opinion because they have more information. Before, they were limited in the information, so they may have thought a certain way. And that's, for me, I don't like to convince anybody of anything. I'm not on here to convince at all. I'm on here to give my opinion, give my insight, lay out things. And I've had a lot of people who say, hey, you're onto something. I agree with that. That makes sense. That's common sense. People could relate to common sense. People could relate when you talk in layman terms and you explain things and you give examples and you explore it and you have a dialogue and you really go through it with a fine-tooth comb. People relate to that. It allows them to understand it more thoroughly and perhaps look at it with a different perspective. And that's very important. Very important for jurors. And I really hope future jurors, current jurors... You, you just understand what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to convey. You review the material, you go through my episodes, and you really take a step back and see what the message is, what the information is, and then look for alternate sources. Look for sources maybe to prove me wrong or a different side of things. If nothing else, it expands your knowledge base. It's going to make you a more prepared citizen. And if you are called for jury duty, you'll be able to give that defendant a fair trial, which is your responsibility as a juror. Beyond a reasonable doubt, you have to find them guilty. And remember, that's why it's guilty or not guilty. It's not guilty or innocent. You're not saying somebody's innocent. You're saying that the government or the state did not prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, which is required by law. So you may say, let's use this as an example. You may think somebody is guilty of the crime. But if you're a true juror and you're going by the Constitution and the government did not prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, even though you believe the guy may be guilty, but you're not convinced because they just didn't prove their case, remember the burden of proof is on them. So if they don't prove their case, you cannot, by your duty, find a guilty verdict. Now, do people do that? I don't know. I don't know. I hope they do because that's how the system works, but we know that's, that's pie in the sky. People don't normally do that. Um, some get it right. Don't misunderstand me. Some get it right, but some get it way wrong. And we see it time and again. I was watching a, uh, I was re-watching, because I've seen this documentary many times, and if you get a chance, HBO put out a documentary on the Memphis Three. It's about these three young boys who were convicted of murder. Uh, ghastly, pff, horrific murder. Uh, I don't want to get into it, but just look it up. If you get a chance, I think it was three parts on HBO. It's a phenomenal documentary. But you'll see how these three boys, and they were boys at the time when they were convicted. They did big, big time. Until they were until it was finally proven that they were innocent, 
And the crazy thing is, just to show how spiteful the government was, the state was on that end, they wouldn't just release these guys. Even though they knew they were innocent, everything proved they were innocent, they didn't want to get sued. So what they make these guys do? They made them take what's called an Alfred plea, which basically says, I didn't do it, but I'm pleading guilty just to plead guilty. It really just means, I didn't do it, but I'm pleading guilty, so I can't sue you. And that's what that was the only way they would let these guys out. So if you get a chance, it's worth a watch. It really is. And that'll just, that'll really spotlight what I'm trying to convey here, how jurors do get it wrong, and how there's a lot of misconduct that goes on. There's a lot of informants who lie, and innocent lives are at stake due to that. And that's one of the driving forces behind We Push Back. Um, and, and that's all I'm going to focus on is bringing attention to all of these things. And I have a lot of um, marketing ideas mapped out for We Push Back. I got some appearances on certain shows where I'll be talking about We Push Back. I got some alliances. But again, it's all going to be rolled out little by little. And the more attention it gets, the more attention it garners, the more traction it's going to get. I'm going to be doing a campaign. I'm going to have a bunch of friends of mine handing out flyers in Manhattan, Bronx, Westchester. Uh, I'm going to see if any members want to hand them out in their area. I know Kane Shades, uh, he has a podcast. Uh, he, he's part of We Push Back. He's going to hand them out. Um, MRE, he has another podcast. For those who aren't familiar, it's called Mob Rats Exposed. He's a big supporter of We Push Back, one of the initial members initially. He was one of the founding members. Uh, he's going to be handing them out. So I'm sure we'll get a lot of uh, individuals uh, looking to hand them out and, and participate. And that's all we could do, right? Bring bring attention to these issues. Bring attention to juror education. Bring attention to prosecutorial misconduct. Bring attention to judges that are perhaps very biased <laughs> and don't make decisions based on law but based on personal opinion. Bring attention to these lying informants who tell lives to save their own skin. Um, one of the informants' perfect example, what do they always say? Oh, I'm changed. Uh, I won't do this again. I won't do that again. I did an episode a couple weeks ago on that informant, Frank Pesqua III. Uh, just listen to that episode and then tell me if that guy changed. It's all, for, for the majority of the informants, from what I've seen, that's all smoke and mirrors, the whole change thing. It's just a matter, they don't want to be accountable, they don't want to go to jail, uh, and that's all it boils down to. And then they want to come on here and play uh, internet gangster and impress people and talk about how crazy they are and tell lies about everybody. And that's what they want to do. Now, the other thing I want to talk about, a friend of mine, I, I personally stopped watching a lot of shows. I, I, I just don't want to see it. And I recommend that for a lot of people. Just if somebody's really not someone you align with or you're interested in, just unsub. Because unfortunately, in a certain genre... There's a lot of drama, and I was sent a clip from one show, and this individual had somebody else on, and this individual was uh, a former We Push Back member, and I, I don't get it, but apparently uh, now he hates We Push Back, but whatever. I couldn't even care about that. But what I didn't like is they, were, they lied about one thing that I didn't like. Uh, he had a co-host on who is, he's in a certain genre, and he's always trolling around and doing nonsense. But this person was saying he was recruited to We Push Back. That's a complete 100% utter lie. As a matter of fact, I have the email of this person emailing WePushBack.com to be a member. And guess what? He was denied. I didn't want him in it. So the whole recruiting thing is BS. So if anybody tells you they were recruited for We Push Back, I don't know who's recruiting them, but I don't recruit anybody. I lay everything out. I show it. Um, if they want to join, they know how to reach out. All the people who joined, they reached out, we had a conversation, and they joined. And a lot of people were denied. See, I don't like to embarrass people and show who, who didn't make it, who didn't, uh, you know, but people were denied. Okay, I'm not going to post emails, but if they're going to keep lying about it, I may have to email them the email that they sent me to remind them. But nobody was ever recruited, so that's a lie. And the other thing is, the person who said he was recruited wasn't even part of We Push Back. Okay? And they were going on saying that there's um, that Discord group, and again, I'm not in any Discord group, so I, I don't know what they're referencing, but apparently there's a Discord group <laughs> that they're saying, and what I find funny is, I don't know who said it, one of the persons said, oh, there's a PB1 through 40. 
So they're trying to say it's pushback one through 40. Well, guess what? There's only 19 members in pushback. So I don't know who those 40 people are. And I could guarantee most of them aren't in it from what they tell me. They never even heard of pushback uh, discord. So I don't know who's in it. But just I found that funny when they said, oh, yeah, there's pushback one through 40. Well, how could there be one through 40 if there's only 18 members of pushback? But whatever. I'm not going to go down that road. I just wanted to clarify about the recruiting. I don't really care what any of these people say. But what it did get me thinking is you have to watch on here, and this is all part of how things go on, and I believe the people could relate to this. A lot of times what goes on, and it happened in one of, uh, it happened in actually Vinnie Bracco's show. Somebody went in with my, like they changed their name to my account, and they were telling Vinnie stuff, acting as me. Fortunately, Vinnie texted me, and I was like, no, that ain't me. And then you're able to click on the, uh, you could just click on, if you're a moderator or an admin, you could click on that person's icon uh, or their avatar and you could see what channel it goes to and it didn't go to my channel. But what that did have me thinking, people are always putting up snapshots. Uh, people like to, I don't know, it's a weird, I can't relate to that. You know, what's said in private, said in private to me. I don't care if I hate the person. I'm not going to show snapshots and screenshots. That just doesn't sit well with me. But people do that. But what it reminded me of was I was part of a case. It was a case where um, the defendant was charged with something. But part of the, that's not important, but part of the uh, evidence or the discovery was text messages, printouts of what this person supposedly said. Now, the defendant swore he never said those things. So it was easy enough where you uh, subpoena the carrier and you get the original text messages. And lo and behold, that's not what he said. So I was thinking that everybody's showing all these screenshots. It really made me think, how do you even know they're legitimate? How do you even know somebody didn't doctor them? I'm pretty good with Adobe Photoshop. So I, I seen how things could be manipulated and changed. And I can only imagine people who are really good with those different programs, what they could do. I'm sure they could manufacture all that. So my advice and even jurors, if you see that evidence presented, always make sure it's valid in the sense that just ask yourself, oh, was this checked out? Does this come from the actual phone company? Is just a, just a photograph of a text message? You'd want to get the uh, metadata on that in some way or other. You want to get uh, verify that. And I could see people on here playing around with that, and that's a dangerous game if they're making up messages and they're making... It, you know, for those involved on here, it may make you think where you would want to subpoena the original format to pull the, the metadata. You want to subpoena the company that houses that data. So if it's on Discord, let's use that for an example, it's a matter of subpoenaing Discord to get the original file, and then you could track it back based on the metadata on who owns that, who owns that account. But it is a dangerous game, right? When you think about it on here, people could put up fake text and then you'll have a bunch of people believing a lie. It, it could get nasty on here. It could get nasty. And I was thinking about all those things and how they really do mirror in a lot of ways what plays out in the courtroom sometimes. Now, fortunately, in the courtroom, you'd be able to disprove those things, right? Uh, doing like I just said. You'd be able to say, well, this isn't real. This is a fake this is a mock-up or whatever. You'll, you'll have the tools to be able to, to disprove that. Online, wh what are you going to do? You're going to start investing thousands of dollars to get a forensic company to narrow it down. And that's the danger of it. That's the danger of it. People, people are really nasty. So I, one thing I learned on here is it's hard to believe anything. In a lot of these genres, it's hard to believe anything because so many lies are told and so many people are lying and so many people are showing screenshots. And that's been the latest thing. I've noticed a lot of uh, channels were talking about screenshots and, and showing private conversations and emails. And when I saw that going on, it just reminded me, and it actually more than reminded me, I posed a question to myself, well, how do you know it's, it's legitimate? I would want to vet that. Um, that's what I would want to do. You know, I'd, I'd want the originals. I'd want to see it before I make the, I wouldn't just look at something and assume it's, it's legitimate. My advice is you just want to vet those things out. You want to make sure they're valid before you make any kind of determination because boy computers could do anything they can manipulate anything and so it, it is a little scary in the sense where you really don't know what to trust what not to trust you know that's a little scary that's why you can't really rely too heavily on social media on youtube and things like that 
uh, on what people in the comments say or what what uh, what is being spread. It's hard sometimes to rely on that. You need to see the facts to support it, and you need to make sure what you're looking at is valid and credible. And um, I, I believe the focus must be, especially for my channel, the more I see, the more that I witness uh, behavior of individuals online and society, I believe there is a huge need for jury education, to educate jurors. And I... I just want to keep doing that, make that really my top priority. Whatever information I put out, I want to make sure a juror could use it in some way that's beneficial to, to make them more prepared and more capable when they are performing their duty. And just uh, an update on um, the case of Matthew Madonna, Stephen Crea, Christopher Londonio, Terrence Caldwell. Uh, on Monday of this week, the 13th, as I predicted and said from day one, uh, the judge denied the Rule 33. Now, that was no surprise to me. Uh, I told the attorneys this, and we're all kind of in agreement. We And I've explained this, but just for those who weren't aware, the whole purpose of the Rule 33 was not really for uh, the district level. It's for the appeal level. And unless you go through the motions of a Rule 33, you can't use whatever we submitted as part of the appeal. But being we submitted it, put it in front of the judge, got a ruling, now we could use that. It's called, they call putting it on record. So now that it's on record, we're able to revert to it and we're able to encompass that into our um, into our appeal as well. So that's really where I'm confident we're going to receive the relief. That's where I've been confident from day one. Unfortunately, I, I just felt this judge wasn't going to give us anything. She had her mind made up. Um, she was biased, in my opinion, in many ways, a lot of things I've seen. But that's neither here nor there. It was nothing... Unexpected. This is was all expected. This is all pretty much how we mapped it out. So now we go on the appeal, and that should be uh, by I believe by end of the, of this year, early next year, uh, we should get a decision on that. Um, another upcoming episode. I I requested the minutes for when Frank Pasqua the third appeared, had his appearance. So the transcribers getting those back to me, and I'm going to do an episode on that. Uh, just to give an update on that um, lying informant. And that's really what I'm just going to keep focusing on. Um, now, people will email me. I get some emails like, can you cover this informant or cover that? Um, I I'll cover any lying informant, but what I like to do is I like to show examples. I'm not about just coming on here uh, and just talking about them and saying how I don't agree with them or I don't like them. Uh, that's not what my channel's for. What I like to focus on is having citations to support my claims. So if I'm saying somebody's testifying on based on hearsay, as I uh, pointed out with the case of the informant uh, Jimmy Calandra, uh, I pulled the um, newspaper article and just showed how in the motions that were submitted, the defense was arguing that all of his testimony was hearsay. So I try to just cite certain things, and that's what I like to do. So I'm always open to cover... Uh, different informants, but again, I like to be able to cite to something to, to make my point and just show how they were lying, or they may have, have impeached, uh, if you want to impeach the informant, I want to show why they could be impeached, uh, or if they perjured, I want to show that. So I like to show the citation. So uh, I get a lot of emails, and they're great, but a lot of these, you know, I'm not... <laughs> I don't know, people must think I'm like a historian in a certain genre. I know nothing about certain genres. I don't care about that. I don't care about who people are or the history. That's not entertaining to me. I don't, I don't care about that. So people sometimes ask me, oh, what about this famous informer? I'm like, yeah, I really don't know anything about it. And I could tell they're a little confused. I guess they think I made, I must know everything about every informant. But I try to just pick one, focus on that and do it. And I may do a kind of a spotlight series like that, where I pick a certain informant, I try to analyze them, see if they were lying, pull their minutes. I told you I have one, I'm working on a project with an informant who's on YouTube, and I had to request their trial minutes, but I had to get it from the National Archives, and it's taken forever, but that's going to be my focus. I want to be able to go through the trial minutes, perhaps show a pre-trial motion, show where they lied, because that's what's important to the public. The public... Everybody has different views, right? We see it on here. There's people who are totally fine with hanging out with line informants, going on their shows, 
interviewing them. This They have no problem with that. Everybody's different. Everybody has their own line and nobody's right and nobody's wrong. It's just what you believe, how you were raised and what's instilled in you and what your moral compass tells you. So what I may have a very strict line about, somebody else may not. You know, somebody else may look at it like, ah, what's the big deal? And that's just life. That's how it goes. Uh, they're not wrong and I'm not wrong. It's just different ways of looking at it. For me, myself, I just like to have relationships and friendships with people who align more closely with my way of thinking. So there's nothing wrong with uh, being courteous online, but sometimes you're just too far apart to really have any common ground. You just see things way too differently. There's no common ground. So you just really have nothing in common. And um, everybody has different levels. For me, I've said it once, I'll say it again, all lying informants to me are on the same level. Now, I'm not saying they don't, some aren't more degenerate than others. That's different. You know, that's a, that's a character thing. You may, you may have more of a degenerate, does more degenerate things. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying as far as the way I look at them, they're all informants. I don't want to know them, don't want to talk to them. I have nothing nice to say about any of them, not one of them. I couldn't care, and I've said this a million times, I couldn't care if they praise me up and down. I'll never acknowledge them. Don't even want to talk to them. Don't even want them mentioning my name. Don't want any interaction of them. The only interaction I've had on here with informants is them threatening me. I had one guy, <laughs> one guy, no, I think two, two of them like threatening me. One being tough, then another guy trying to abuse me. <laughs> oh, sorry for laughing, but I find that funny. It's just something about the fact that a federal informant <laughs> could be so brave and tough and threaten people online. I just find that, I find that amusing, but that's not the topic for today. I'm going to try to go on Mob Rats Exposed show Saturday. We're planning for Saturday. Unless something comes up on either one of our ends, we're going to try to put a show out Saturday. We're going to just go into detail about uh, some of the We Pushback developments, the flyers and whatnot. So be sure to keep an eye on his channel. He'll post it if we're able to do it. And that's it for today, folks. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time. You've been listening to the Justice Tech Pros podcast with Dominic Crea, one of the most unique podcasts on the internet, discussing the obstacles the defense team faces when trying a case, what goes on behind the scenes during pretrial and motion phase, holding defense attorneys accountable, making sure they're fighting for their clients, the difference between textbook law and how things truly play out in a courtroom, and everything in between. And everything in between. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we'll be back soon until then find us on twitter facebook and instagram at justice tech pros to email the show with questions and comments it's podcast at justice tech pros.com till next time this is justice tech pros podcast and dominic crea signing off